0: This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes teachers deserve to be celebrated and their voices elevated. Find out how you can join their movement of passionate educators in Kansas City by going to teachforamerica.org or find us on Twitter at TFA underscore KC or on Instagram at TFAKC. A mostly white city secedes from a largely black school district in the South, and our teachers don't like it. Plus, should grade cards include assessments for a kid's participation? How about his optimism? Our teachers weigh in on that. And finally, we introduce our pop culture roundup, Wonder Woman Hits the Theaters and more. It's gonna be a Kafif show here at the No Wrong Answers Podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. They are on summer break, but they're still very hardworking, so let's introduce them. Maddie Burkemper, what do you teach now?
1: I'm having an identity <laughs> crisis. No, I'm, I'm looping from fourth grade up to fifth grade.
0: So you've just completed your school year, and you're going to loop up with your kids who you had last year.
1: Yes, I am. That's
0: awesome. Uh, Maria Kennedy, you just finished school. The kids left a day before the taping of this episode. What do you teach?
2: I teach high school history.
0: That's awesome. And David Muhammad, what do you teach? I teach high school, international relations, and economics. All three of them are public school teachers in the Kansas City metro area. Well, let's get to it. We have a lot of good topics on this episode. You might think the word secession comes from a bygone era, a term you learn in American history class, but no, secession seems to be a trend in modern-day public education. Recently, the city of Gardendale, Alabama, a suburb of Birmingham, population 14,000 or so, was granted permission by a federal judge to secede from the larger Jefferson County School District. Gardendale, the city, is mostly white and serves some 3,000 students less than a third of whom are black, many of them bust in from neighborhoods in North Birmingham. The county school system, which comprises the entire Birmingham metro area, serves more than 35,000 students, nearly half of whom are black. Gardendale has been pushing for years to break away, suing Jefferson County Schools in 2015. The federal judge in the case, Madeline Haikala, an Obama appointee, Actually accused the Gardendale organizers of having racial motivations and wanting to break away, and she also said secession would do great harm to the Jefferson County District, which has been under a federal desegregation order dating back to the civil rights era. Remember, this is Birmingham. Haikalo wrote Gardendale's push to secede sent a message of racial inferiority to black students in Jefferson County and quote, assails the dignity of black school children. Still, she allowed Gardendale to secede, noting, among other things, that if she compelled the city to stay in the Jefferson County school system, then the black children who were bused in from North Birmingham into Gardendale could bear the brunt of the Gardendale parents' bitterness. Haikala wrote, Gardendale parents may blame those black students for not being able to secede. Gardendale officials and parents, of course, argue their push to break away has nothing to do with race, but rather their desire for local control. As the city's mayor, Stan Hoagland, told the Washington Post, quote, it's keeping our tax dollars here with our kids rather than sharing them with kids all over Jefferson County. Gardendale's story, though the latest, is not the only example of a school system breaking away from a district. The nonprofit research firm EdBuild says since 2000, at least 36 school systems from the U.S., from Alabama and Louisiana to Tennessee to Southern California, have seceded, and nearly all of them whiter, more affluent than the larger districts that they leave there's more to talk about with this particular case but really first i just want to get the reactions of the educators at the table just plain and simple on a visceral level how do you feel about this story
1: not surprised but appalled that's how i feel on an emotional level it's like exhausted appalled not surprised just really like we had a they had they could have done something better and they didn't
0: Uh, david maria how do you feel
3: um, I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised. And if we want to look at it from an emotional level, let's first approach it actually with logic. If they are trying to succeed, that means there is something that is making them feel like there is an inadequacy. It's a school district that's been fairly solid for many years. What change happened that made them say, you know what, we want to leave? And so you just have to look at the history and the only thing that shows that has made a significant change is the influx of more black students from outside of that area. So when you use words like tax dollars and, you know, our community, well, what's not part of those tax dollars and what's not part of that community? Oh, the kids who have been bused in. I mean, that's it's just really clear to me. So I'm not surprised because. White flight has been going on for a long time and it's mm-hmm. it's going to keep going on, especially as gentrification happens and things like that. Um, I just feel like let's be real here, people. Yeah. You know, I would re- honestly I'd rather them come out and say, you know what? It's about race. Like be bold with it and just say this is what it is and and deal with the situation that way. But when you're, you know, subvert with it and you try to skate around it, it's, it's actually more insulting uh, to history, to those kids who are in that district. Um, you know,
2: to the whole education system. Maria? I am deeply skeptical of the results of this decision. And I think in this case, honestly, past is prologue. So historically, when school districts or any sort of governmental agency in our society has made a seemingly race-neutral decision that actually does negatively impact particular communities or racial minorities— One example of this uh, is that actually these sort of things have been ruled constitutional in the past by the Supreme Court. There was a 1972 case, the San Antonio Independent School District versus Rodriguez, in which the Supreme Court ruled that basing school funding off of property taxes did not violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That is a race-neutral policy on its face, but we know that in practice— It adversely impacts communities of color and low-income communities. That is not the same thing that is happening in this case. But I worry that something such as this decision, in which Gardendale is seceding from the larger school district, but still, according to the decision and the judge's ruling, still is supposed to keep its same demographics. That could, on its face, seem race-neutral. Saying, "Nope, like you have to keep it has to stay the same. You just have a locally-led school system can still have an adverse negative impact on the communities of color. For example, who's now leading the school system? What about those property taxes? Who's getting funding? Where's it going? The new
1: high school, in some of the articles that we read to prep for this, it talked about a $50 million new high school that's close to the middle of the city it's, would, it's in Gardendale, yeah. but it's,
0: it serves students from mm-hmm. from the entire Jefferson County district because they have some VOTEC programs. It's been and, at the center of some of their that, that, yeah that of their students desegregation from all across the program. county. Program. Come, yeah. You uh, say
1: that. Say that again, because I didn't hear you. Because I talked over you. No,
0: I was saying the the My high bad. school you're referencing is it, it was opened in 2010 in mm-hmm. Gardendale, um, but students from all over the county go to that school because there's different VOTEC and career career tech programs there. That high school, in fact, is not part of this initial order starting in the fall, um, at least based on the plan laid out in the decision.
1: Elementary schools. Gardendale, the
0: two elementary schools within the Gardendale city limits will um, be under the control of the now Gardendale Board of Education. The middle school and high school will still be part of the Jefferson County school system. Um, if If, as the judge says, the Gardendale district makes a a, a good faith effort to continue yeah. with the desegregation order, then maybe those that middle and high school will then become part of the Gardendale district. So there are still some conditions. Um, all three of you clearly ha- um, are, are, as Maria said, deeply skeptical, um, worried, I um, um, think very clearly against this. But do you see this, this story more philosophically as just a, a larger threat to public education, um, the philosophies that underline public education?
3: Well, I think that we have to recognize that what's, what's happening is that the people who are the most depraved are going to continue to be the most depraved because the reality is that the schools with, you know, higher tax bracket and, uh, you know, more affluence and, you know, that tend to be more white is where they, they also get the best teachers and the best mm-hmm. resources, right? So, and, and it's really backwards. I mean, the school district I work in, we got sixty million dollars so that every kid could get a, a Mac Air, even though and kids, to put a
0: point on it, I mean, the district you work in is is majority white, yeah, highly I mean, affluent. The school in, I teach yeah. at is eighty
3: six percent white, you know, and and the, so these kids are already affluent, and then you're giving them more resources for success. Which I'm not saying that they don't deserve it, but when you have 15 minutes to the east of us schools that don't have textbooks right and and the question is why right why is it that the money is not dispersed more well you get into political things where people say well my money shouldn't have to take care of everybody else it's this cycle that's been happening for a long time where the people who are the most depraved will continue to be the most depraved and the resources will follow those who can afford to to garner them um, and it's not going to support the
0: people who really need them yeah. what's the harm maria And, Maddie, what's the harm to public education in this case, in your opinion?
1: I think it undercuts our mission as public education. Like, my mission as a public educator is to give the best education that I can to the community, to the children and the youth of the United States. And the youth encompasses You look all at it that residents. way. I mean, you look at it that yes. way, that,
0: that universally.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I get that there are emotions that go in when it becomes personal, and it's my kid and my school and my neighborhood. But right now in the United States, your community, if you allow it, if we allow it in the United States, our communities are divided up by money, by race, by different types of communities.
3: And I, and I have to jump in here, too. Because you hear this, you, you heard it in the, the situation in St. Louis where these, you know, school parents are very upset and afraid that certain kids are going to come in and bring, you Back know. Back
1: with Francis Howell. Right, and- they're
3: going to bring in, you know, negative behavior and things of that nature.
0: This was a story covered by right. This American Life a couple
2: years well, ago. Well, then yeah.
3: those parents should recognize that the purpose of education is to correct that behavior. So you are you are not giving those kids a chance to correct that behavior. You're mm-hmm. sending them into environments that are only going to continue to send them down the path of negativity. So if those very parents believe that the education needs to be a better system and a better pro- program, then but you for are who, but for and who? That's the, right? Yeah, that's so the, the crux same, of it. The same kids who are already in a situation that is mission for success, guidelines for success. You're taking the kids out that need that same environment. And now you're going to complain, though, when the problem happens. Well, you didn't give those kids a chance to correct the problem, right? Or you didn't even give those kids a chance to have the problem, right? Like, we don't even know yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, what statistics are you using?
0: Do Do you encounter individual parents or students in your schools who carry similar attitudes as the parents fighting for secession in Jefferson County that have this sense of... Um, I mean, it, I mean, based on the quote from the mayor, right? Like, keeping our tax dollars here in our community. And, I mean, yeah. If you wanna, had if you it in our it.
3: district. Yeah. They closed the middle school. So the high school I teach at used to have two middle schools that fed into it. Um, and like I said, my high school is very affluent. So when they closed one middle school, they they redrew the lines of the district, and they said that these children will now go to another high school within the district, which, tend, which happens to be a little more culturally diverse. Those parents... Had an uproar. The parents who were going to have their kids move. The parents whose kids were going to be moved. Mind you, the school that they were going to get sent to was still very strong. It's just a little bit more culture diverse. And yes, they have some behavioral issues, but it's not severe. We're a strong district. Those those parents fought until their kids were able to be grandfathered in to our high school.
0: And so, and stay at the high school. Stay they were at the at. high
3: school if they had a sibling or a parent that went to that school. Which is is an entitlement based thing that you know. And I just found it appalling, you know that it was very clear that you didn't want them going to school over there
0: with those kids. And Is they're there, redrawing there are the more lines. black and brown kids. Right, and school.
3: they're redrawing the lines now. They're talking about redrawing the lines so that the the elementary schools are more evenly dispersed and there's not, you know, over workload for, for teachers. And there's complaints about that as well. Um, so I, I've seen it up front. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, if you take Gardendale at their word, it has nothing to do with race, just... Take them at their word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you still have a problem with this? I do, yeah. Yes. Because,
2: sorry, I do. Because intent is different than impact. I want to be very clear. I I do not take it at face value. I don't take them at their word. Mm -hmm. Because actually, and the judge mentioned this in the case, she actually cited specific Facebook posts as well as public statements and posters that directly fly in the face of the notion that this wasn't racially motivated. But, Regardless, if we take them at their word that it wasn't racially motivated, my response to them would be, great, well, you know what? Intent is different than impact. Your intent may have been race neutral. Your impact is not. What are you going to do about it? Right. Because equity and diversity are on the line, and that matters. Yeah, David, what were you going to say?
3: I, know, I, I mean, they have some policy where they're saying they have to keep a certain percentage of – African American students possibly in that are already yeah, there. Yeah, it's
0: it's it is part of the the judge's order that they the the Gardendale district w- when it secedes has to maintain the, the kind of demographic right. numbers that they currently have which would be, you know, roughly in the neighborhood of 30 30%, white. 30% black, right. 70% white. So
3: then my question becomes if this is what they that they're, that's their intent and they don't mean any racial implication behind it then when that group of students phases out, how are they going to determine which black students from outside the district get to be admitted in? Are you going to have some like recruitment selection process that you only take the talented 10th of of the community, which, you know, I, those kids are going to, you know, probably excel and that's great for them. But is it going to be the athletes? Is it going to be the ones who are already academically sound? Like, again, if it, It puts a damper on what public education is about, meeting kids where they are and taking them where they need to be for success.
1: And valuing all kids, period. Like, I don't think it's going to – even if they did keep their word and kept that percentage of students in their classroom, of black students in the classroom, or I think that another percent was like one black member on the board, 18 percent black faculty members in their school buildings – even if you maintain that, you still might not have fixed the problem. Like yeah. just because you adhere to those numbers, that doesn't mean that the, you know, these people are physically in your buildings hip hip hooray, now we're desegregated. You have to I think it's a community mindset shift. You need to be able to answer the question of who is your community. Who are you working towards? Where should your money go? Where should the resources go? And the whole like, if they make a good faith effort, they get the brand new fifty million dollar high school. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, who paid for that? Who paid for that? They weren't. They weren't um, seceded when that was being paid for. The whole community paid for that high school, and now yeah, and now you're going to say that maybe one day down the line that can be included in your district.
3: Yeah. That's
1: BS. Like I yeah. don't
3: And I think too it's it's so insulting when you say like okay, well, this uh, this amount of faculty members has to be of this race as well.
1: That's tokenism. That's, yeah, That's like, not
3: I've, you know, again, I'm one of the only African American teachers in my building. And it's almost insulting when they bring to me like, well, here's a racial issue. So you as the African-American teacher, would you like, what do you think about that? Like, it's as if to say that we don't all have a responsibility to play in societal matters, right? Like you can call it racial matters, whatever. These are societal issues. And meeting a quota, establishing a quota and saying this percentage creates said diversity. Putting a black kid and a white kid next to each other is not diversity, It's diversifying, but you're not like you're not creating cohesion. They can still not having like the tough conversations. That's just assuming that a man is going to learn, a man is going to respect women's rights because he's set next to a
1: woman. I'm going to be interested (laughs) in things like their suspension rates, their attendance rates, how reliable that public transportation is to actually get the kids to where they need to be. There's that. There's the look at who's on the bus, like what David was saying earlier. Who are you selecting? Are you cherry picking? you cherry-picking for, like, harmful and insulting stereotypes like, oh, we only, we only want the athletes. We mm-hmm. only want the smart kids. We only want the kids without behavior records. If you have a behavior record, you can't come to our school. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not inclusion. That's not— Right.
0: Yeah, to, to Maddie's point, Gardendale is still compelled by this, this judge's order to continue paying for the busing that will get— um, the black students into their district, um, even after those two elementary schools for now have seceded. Very interesting topic. As you can tell, it's just beginning. Um, you should keep tabs on it as well, but you can uh, read an article about this particular case as well as some other resources regarding this case at our website. Just visit it. Uh, search for no wrong answers. Our podcast today is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education. You can make an immediate impact on that mission in Kansas City. To find out how, visit teachforamerica.org. Find them on Twitter at TFA underscore KC and on Instagram at TFA KC. Well, many of us probably remember when we were kids getting report cards and next to our actual grades, there was a line for teacher comments, might have said something like, needs (laughs) to talk more in class. Or plays well with others. Maddie, what did your teachers <laughs> write when you were a kid? You're smiling.
1: I was a huge teacher's pet. I was a really like goody two shoes. I didn't break any rules. Yeah. It's like, she's a delight. <laughs> that was was like.
0: So you might have had comments like Maddie's, she's a delight. Um, even though back then educators may not have called it this, those types of qualitative <laughs> comments were assessing what's come to be known as soft skills at his. Non-academic, character-driven skills that display things like responsibility and social awareness, which Maddie had in spades when she was growing up. And it's becoming more and more common for schools to assess such soft skills formally and give students and parents regular feedback on them. For example, EdWeek reports the Austin, Texas school district for several years has issued its elementary students personal development skills report cards. Every nine weeks, teachers rate students on a scale of one to four on a matrix of what the district calls social and emotional learning competencies. From grade to grade, students are rated on some of the same competencies, including taking responsibility for your actions, respecting self and others, managing emotions constructively, interacting cooperatively with adults, interacting cooperatively with peers. Likewise, the Urban Assembly Charter School Network, based in New York City, uses what it calls a student strengths assessment. Teachers rate students on specific behaviors like doing something nice for somebody or speaking about positive things. This annual assessment, get this, entails a 72-item questionnaire teachers fill out about students three times a year. (laughs) So clearly some schools are putting a lot of effort and resources into measuring soft skills. Uh, there are some worries uh, or critiques of assessing soft skills. We can get to those, but first, David, what are you thinking?
3: We don't have that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Not at my school. Uh, do you want my opinion what on What are it? your personal thoughts about possibly assessing soft skills? First, I have skills. to say, I
3: think that these two ladies are the correct type of teachers that you need if you're going to have that kind of a program.
0: Thank you, David. Yeah, you guys are great. Um, in I terms th- of, like... Uh, Assessing or talking I think, to students about soft I think skills. that there
3: it's problematic when you get to the high school and possibly middle school level because uh, we see so many students and how are you going to determine uh, as a scope of consistency for grading this from a class-to-class basis. So when they start switching teachers throughout the day, six, seven different teachers, mm-hmm. um, One teacher might see it one way and another teacher might see it another way. And then on top of that, you know, I have 170-some-odd students. I, I don't have the time when I have 30 kids per class to determine, well, this kid over here, he's really optimistic. And then this kid, he's super unorganized. And this kid shows great determination and resilience. You know, like, I'm...
1: Look, you don't have a detailed notepad? For no, I'm, I'm
3: like looking at if, <laughs> if the kid is high <laughs> in my class after lunch, like, oh, he looks a little bit out of it. You know, like I noticed that kind of stuff. But, you know, I just feel like we're we're, we're putting another hat on teachers that are already overworked mm-hmm. and underpaid. And also the the struggle I see potentially is when you have teachers who are not trained to adequately deal with these students on an emotional and personal level or judge behavior. You know, like there's teachers who may not have that that scope of skills, you know, that skill set to do it the correct way. And it can actually work in the reverse where you could actually be somewhat bullying a kid or having a negative impact on a kid when they already might have. Um, low self-esteem, they may come from environments that we don't know all the details, and then they're struggling academically, and then you're telling them on top of that, he's also pessimistic and unorganized. And now you're beating up on this kid, and you don't even know the entire s- spectrum of what's going on, right? And then they get that from seven different teachers who are not trained to do that correctly, and, and now the kid's really feeling worse mm-hmm. about themselves than they already were,
0: right? Yeah, so do you all, do you all feel there is a place for... A, a, a discussion of soft skills in school with kids?
3: Bring back humanities classes. Bring back classes that are solely based upon thought, perspective, discussion, and there is no grade. There is, there is
0: completion and the, 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 the willingness to do it because it is needed. And why does that, why does that meet the same, the same goals of a possible soft Because skill? it's
3: reflection and it gets kids to go within themselves. A kid may may not be the most vocal, but if they understand why they're not vocal and they understand themselves, then they don't necessarily have to speak out loud. We don't need everybody to speak out loud. A kid just needs to understand who they are and why they are who they are, you know, mm-hmm. why they are the way that they are. You know, not everybody has to be out campaigning or, you know what I mean? Like, like you need different roles. And I think that we don't have the space, at least in my school, that it's so curriculum heavy. There's so much push for teaching to the test and getting them out and ACT scores and, you know, AP, IB, all this stuff going on, when is there time for them to self-reflect? So if I have to do that within the curriculum, I don't have time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I only have this much time to get through the curriculum, and then I'm also supposed to fit in this time where I'm supposed to look at them as an individual. Either give me the time to do that that's set aside or hire a professional that can do that set aside where every kid gets that or give them a person who can track them and do it adequately. Um, but...
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, David's raising some concerns that other, you know, researchers and educators have raised. Do we have time to do this? Also, there have been, you know, pretty consistent critiques about soft skill assessments because they're subjective, possibly biased. I mean, even the Austin school district that I mentioned earlier has noted that white and more affluent students often get
1: score higher. Score wow. higher. Score higher. Really? G- girls tend to
0: score higher That's than boys. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so um, but but still, with those caveats in mind.
1: You know, I think the way that I teach, I think it's really important to talk explicitly about soft skills in grade school frequently. I think it's hard to grade it and sometimes hard to teach it. And a reason I love soft skills and teaching it, but some people might shy away because they're nuanced. For instance, the word participate. We talk about participation a lot in grade school, and that's one of the soft skills that I'm required to grade on my report card underneath your work ethic. Um, I teach in my classroom that there that you must participate. You must be an active participant. We also say there are several different ways to show me that you mm. can participate. Example one, raise your hand. Example two, acknowledge the fact that you're tired, ask for a water break. That shows me that you're being mindful. You're thinking about the fact that you're falling asleep at your desk. You're asking for water. You're going up and getting some. You're taking a break. You're coming back. You're sitting down. You're engaged. You're participating. You can do hand signals in my class. So we have a plethora um, of nonverbal participation Options you can do an agree a disagree can I add on can and we I should know during
0: during taping for our listeners Maddie is doing the hand <laughs> signals all the time I <laughs> am
1: I'm doing all t- I do <laughs> yeah. I do I was agreeing I, it's like a, a rock symbol no a, a hang loose thumb and pinky yeah. and then it's act- I think it's so you like teach your kids it. so this is so this is agree. a way for
0: kids to to yeah. kind of show you they're participating yeah
1: agree disagree. Can I add on— We
0: can't see you, but—
1: yeah. thought, I, I frequently break the forethought, just so you know. I'm not going to in-depth describe all my different things. I just have a problem
3: with grading but, it. Like, you know—
1: Okay, okay. here—I'm going to push on that. I'm going to push on that. Because in yeah. elementary, it's important to recognize and inform. I'm not saying that yeah. my—that the grade— I don't like that I grade it, yeah. and I don't, I don't think I'm qualified to grade it. And I don't think that a 1 or a 2 or a 3 really captures the nuance of the child within that grade right. at all. For instance, a kid might have a full-blown meltdown, meltdown. I had a kid one time bang his head so hard against the door that he had a unicorn knot on his forehead for like three weeks. But other than that, in the entire semester, he was fine. He was fine. He accepted my one of the social skills is accept redirects from adults. So when someone has a three day long meltdown, that really impacted him, really impacted me, really impacted the feelings of the class. How do you grade that? You know, like, do I just say, oh, well, that one isolated incident was a do I still give him a three? Is he able to accept redirects from adults hmm. after that after that? You know, like you have a meltdown one day, you exhibit that one moment of you're not hitting it. Is that a two?
0: You have those worries and concerns, but you still feel like it's important to... I gave him a
1: three. I communicated with the parents. I saw significant growth. It was at the beginning of the semester. He was able to work his way through it, apologize, didn't exhibit that behavior again, blah, 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 blah. But I, I think that it's important to inform students and inform parents, like the glows and the grows, where you see gaps in their... Soft skills and where you see really big strengths. Like if you don't talk about the gaps of someone's soft skills, I don't think you're doing a good job educating the whole child. I I do consider it part of my job as an elementary teacher to teach things like participation, to explicitly teach things like how to – come up against the face of adversity and respond in a respectful and firm and confident way. Like we talk about that explicitly and practice it. How do you say no respectfully? How do you agree respectfully? How do you disagree respectfully? And those get graded.
0: Maria, you had a comment.
2: Yeah, I think the piece about cultural bias resonates with me as a former ELL teacher, Mm. uh, English language learner teacher. I feel really strongly that that is something that we as educators must always be aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, Cultural differences, respecting those, acknowledging them and navigating them. Um, With with that caveat, I think ultimately for me, as an educator, I really see my role as helping students live the life that they set for themselves. It is not what I want for you. It is what you have communicated to be your long-term goals. And I think from there, when we understand a student's goals, which I hope that teachers take time to, like, really get to know their students and Mm -hmm. understand what it is they want out of their life. Uh, From there, I think actually I do support uh, teaching, explicitly teaching and supporting students with soft skills. To paraphrase Gandhi, uh, you know, Gandhi is famous for saying, like, be mindful. I know, right? We're going real deep. But, um, But Gandhi said, be mindful of your thoughts. He was talking about this within the umbrella of positivity, I should add. But he said, you know, be mindful of your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. Be mindful of your words because your words become your behavior. Your behavior becomes your habits. Your habits become your values. And your values become your destiny. And I think if we accept that frame, then keeping an eye towards soft skills and non-cognitive skills, as imperfect as it may be, is valuable. Because ultimately, we are beholden to and accountable to students in supporting them for the life that they wish to lead. And part of that is being able to interact well both with yourself and others.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think my only issue is that we have to ask ourselves what are we determining is considered to be good, right? Like you have kids who come from different backgrounds that it might be normal or acceptable for them to speak very loudly and it might sound like an argument to somebody else but to them that's just how they communicate. Like that's, you know, like when I was in high school, me and the other African-American students, we were loud in the hallways. I mean, loud. And you would think we were fighting. And that's just how we talked. So are we, do we have communication issues? Right? Like if you know how to turn it on and turn it off in different environments, you know, I, and I think we have to look at where the kids are coming from and where we want them to go. But, you know, what are we asking them to fit into? And as long as we're not trying to form form them into perfect little robots, mm-hmm. you know, and say that you have to be like this in order to be good. Because then you might just have kids who are pretending. Like, I know, for instance, we had to implement a discussion grade for a while. So I had kids who were, like, just trying to speak as many times as it took to get the points. They didn't really have the intent behind it to speak, you know, or motivated to speak truly. It was, I just want to get my points in so I get the grade, you know. So I could see that happening as well where it's it's not genuine, you know. The behavior might not be genuine and they're just doing it to get through. Um, so, yeah.
0: Well, it's a good word to end on. Um, very interesting discussion. If you want to uh, see um, how some districts formally assess soft skills, you can go to our website. There'll be a link to that. Well, there were several pop culture related stories that caught our eye over the past week or so. And instead of picking just one, we thought we'd try something new, a lightning round of sorts, where we mm-hmm. give our teachers a chance to respond to some developments in pop culture land and relate that news to the classroom and their work as teachers. So here we go. A South Korean movie studio has pulled an ad campaign for an animated movie set to be released next year entitled Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves. It's a parody of Snow White after some, many people, accused its movie poster of being an example of fat shaming.
1: No. The
0: poster in question (laughs) shows the character Snow White, again animated, tall and slender, next to a shorter, more heavyset version of herself with the tagline... What if Snow White was no longer beautiful and the Seven Dwarves not so short? The producers of the movie said, quote, Our film, a family comedy, carries a message designed to challenge social prejudices related to standards of physical beauty in society. By emphasizing the importance of inner beauty still, the movie poster created an uproar. It was nixed. The lead actress, who voices Snow White, also apologized, saying She had not seen the movie poster and had no idea...
1: Call Grace Moritz, so that way you can unfollow her. Just so we're all clear, that's the lead actress. Everyone, go out right now. Maddie,
0: I'm going to start with you. Um, I know we can talk about the actual poster and then also the fairly appalling movie trailer that came with it. But
1: I won't get specific. Have you no, seen no, other examples
0: of questionable media messages about no, weight and attractiveness never. aimed at kids?
1: No. You should turn on like HBO and see. There's so many empowering. Female characters and leads out there filled with nuance and all of the soft skill qualities that I work so hard to teach. <laughs> it's dripping with examples.
0: <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to Maddie, you cannot see her face, and she's clearly being sarcastic. Sarcasm. So, I mean, I guess, how, as educators, how do you feel about this movie poster? And, and what, like, how does it strike you and, and, and what harm do you think it does?
2: This is yet another example. Can't. You can't. (laughs) I mean, obviously, it's frustrating. This is just another example of how society polices women's bodies and renders judgment on how we should value women and to what extent we should value women, largely based on physical appearance. So obviously that is um, really disappointing. And there is... Mountains of evidence to suggest that women internalize these messages from a very early age.
0: And so, I mean, what do you try to tell your students? What's the message that you're, what, that you're trying to paddle against?
1: Step one, compliment who they are as a person, who they are. I try and do compliments about, like, you worked really. I compliment their soft skills.
0: David, at the high school level. Well, first I have to say it's.
3: Interesting to me, that I, I guarantee that the director or somebody very closely related is some guy, right? Like, some guy made this poster. And so it just goes to show, like, the patriarchal society that we have where men get to determine what women's beauty is. Mm. Like, because who sets the standard of what beautiful, what do you mean by beautiful, right? Like, and a lot of that has to do with the fact, and if you've seen the trailer of this film, like, it's totally hypersexualized, oh, yeah. right? But that sexualization is to turn on men beautiful when they use it in that context is to say what is beautiful to a man, right? Like they're not talking about it from the context of what women think beauty is, right? And so if that's the case, then why do men get to determine what women's beauty is? But then we also get to determine what's masculine. At the high school level, we we have a, I, I have to say that I think the high schools, at least the public high schools, we have a impact as well. I mean, the way in which we glorify the cheerleaders and our dance team not to say that it's not talented but it also adds to that hypersexualization of this is what beauty is this is who we give attention this is what you should look like if you want to be in the limelight and if not then you're ostracized
0: right.
1: also she's not fat the snow white animated version is not fat i just want to throw that out there before we move on to the next topic
0: go see the movie poster or go, go look at the movie poster go watch the movie trailer
1: no maybe no or, don't or maybe don't <laughs> don't do it don't give them any more
0: all right next topic in our pop culture <laughs> roundup I have. it appears the new movie Wonder Woman at the time of this taping at least is headed for a record setting opening weekend poised to become the most lucrative opening for a movie directed by a woman ever we should say patty jenkins the director grew up near where No Wrong Answers is taped in Lawrence, Kansas. The movie is getting rave reviews. It's the first modern superhero film to star a female lead and have a female director, but the movie's rollout did come with a bit of controversy. After the Alamo Drafthouse in Austin, Texas, hosted a one-night female-only screening of the film, that is, only women or those who identify as women could attend, some men predictably took umbrage, because that's what we do. Oh. <laughs> Ranting You're trying to kill <laughs> us slowly please. with all Ranting bad. on Alamo Drafthouse's Facebook page about how unfair this was. Just a sample of some comments. Quote, have you ever hosted an all-male screening of a film? Oh, Are you kidding me? Keep
1: going. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine the anger and outrage from the liberal staff at Alamo if Trump had an all-male screening at the White House? And someone did respond to that comment by saying, quote, Trump calls them cabinet meetings. <laughs> <laughs> the female-only screening sold out, but Alamo Drafthouse did sort of apologize, saying in part, we want everyone to see this film. So I don't want to really talk about the controversy per se because I think the controversy is stupid, but the female-only screening was built as a celebration of female empowerment embodied in the character Wonder Woman. Are there, What I want to ask is, are there constructive opportunities for your female students to bond with each other in, female only, in female-only settings at your schools?
1: Yes. We have a book club. You should be
0: more excited about that. <laughs> These you...
1: topics are just, they're pissing me off. Okay, Re- ask me again, Kyle. Ask me, again. <laughs> <laughs> ask me it again.
0: So I want to ask, the female-only screening was built as a celebration of female empowerment. Are there constructive opportunities for your female students to bond with each other in female-only settings at school?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> and I support it. <laughs> we have a – first off, go women. Of all people identifying as women, go women, number one. Number two, um, yes, we have a all-girls book club. Usually mm-hmm. if there's like a social situation later that I need – some help with where a girl isn't being included. I might go to one of those girls and say, "Hey, remember that book you read? Like, here's a real life mm. opportunity to live that out in real life. Will you help me out?" And I'll go, "Yay!" And then we'll all be friends. That's not me being trite. That has yeah. legitimately happened. Yeah. Just no. I know you guys know, but for
2: the for all of you, listeners Maria, out David, there,
0: any any reflections on but... on girl power, female empowerment?
2: My school just recently had a Um, female empowerment engagement or like a female empowerment day um, for the sixth graders and they actually had the high school students some of our high school female students um, talk to them it was um, by all accounts a wonderful day Um, yeah they really enjoyed it I think I'd actually like to talk about my own personal experience though because I went to an all-girls high school and I absolutely loved it this was back in Louisville Kentucky Um, But I think it's actually really important that minorities and those communities with histories of enduring systems of oppression deserve – they really deserve safe spaces in which to celebrate their communities because from that space, you can draw strength and power. So in my own high school experience, all of my leaders were women. Um, That included student leaders. So the student, obviously, like the student council president was a woman. All of the student council staff were women. Most of the teachers were women. The principal was a woman. The president was a woman. Um, And that really, because we were in that safe space, encouraged risk-taking. And there was a very strong focus on learning. And I think because there wasn't (laughs) the literal male gaze that women were trying to navigate – uh we were able to, to to focus on learning and academics and form incredibly powerful bonds with each other
0: and david you teach at obviously a a ed high school you you've experienced yeah a, a male backlash kind of similar to what happened with the female all female screening of wonder woman
3: men got to calm down <laughs> like the, the argument of like well what if we had our own you already do it's called government. It's called country clubs. It's called fraternities. We Men have always been in control, especially if we want to be specific and say, like, white men, right? Like, white men have always been in power. So what are they, what are they so threatened by? It's not like women, all women in the country are going to take to the streets and burn down all the houses, right? Like, you have a mother. You have a sister. It's okay to just chill out for a second. And what harm did it do to you that they have this sc- screening and you know, watch the movie, did it really disturb your life or does it make you uncomfortable because you weren't invited? And if you were invited, would you have even went right? Like, but Mm -hmm. back to the, back to the topic, right? Like, I feel like we have to recognize that again, and this goes back to the issues about race and all of that. A strong society is where everybody feels like they're a part of it. And if people feel like they're a part of the society, then they're going to be better functioning members. And that contributes to everyone.
0: Well, finally, we can't get through this week without bringing up Kofif. Or (laughs)
2: Kofi, thank thank you, Matt.
0: Kofefe or Kofifi. If you haven't heard by now, and I can't imagine you haven't, President Donald Trump, in a tweet sent shortly after midnight one night recently, wrote, "Despite the negative press, Kofif." That tweet was deleted six hours later, but then Trump tweeted out again. You can figure out the true meaning of Kofif. Enjoy. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer added to things when he told reporters later the president and a small group of people knew exactly what he meant. Well, there is, well, there is speculation about what Trump really meant, but let's not get into it because that would ruin the mystery. But related to Covfe, are there are strange new words that you have taught students or students have taught you in the recent past.
2: So before I taught high school, I taught second grade and with my second graders, we had a little phrase or a little word that we like to call kafuti spelled K-H-A-F-O-O-T-Y. And that stands for keep hands and feet and other objects to yourself. So anytime I would say kafuti, my students knew what I meant. Most others obviously did not.
0: Very close to kafif, but kafuti.
2: Yeah, I was the original. <laughs> Trump is just copycatting. All right. That's
0: David, good. Maddie, any uh, weird words that come up in your teaching career? For a while, I was, I had a, a thing with wusa where
2: oh. like, yeah,
0: like
3: it was like you know, y'all need to take a Wusa, you know, and everybody wussa, like so I was like, yeah, this kid needs to go take a wusa break. Um, don't really do that much anymore. Um, and
0: that's self-explanatory.
3: <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a, it's you feel it like wusa you know. Um, there was that. I mean, but I do I have to commend the kids. They keep me feeling young and hip, you know, so Bay and all of that kind of stuff. It keep You know, I understand it more now.
0: Maddie? That's funny.
1: I said one and I forgot it. Dusty? And... Earlier. Yeah, Dusty. I learned about Dusty when I was teaching. And what does um, Dusty
0: mean to your kids?
1: Just like it could either literally mean, like, your usually like my students will refer like my elbows or my knees like one time I wore a shorter skirt in the winter and didn't wear any tights with it think like right above the kneecap and I sat down to do like a read aloud and front row little kid I went ooh your your knees are really dusty today miss <laughs> me and I was like ah!
0: <laughs> cuz so they're just they
1: were just like super like white and ashy um, <laughs> so it could mean that Or like in reference to something being literally like dirty, Mm. like they'll say like, they'll also reference my shoes actually, because I'll wear like my Tevas or something and they're like a year old and they, you can, there's like some dirt showing up on them. So they'll reference my shoes as being dusty Um, or like when something's just generally uncool. It's dusty.
0: All right. Dusty. Dusty. Well, we normally end with kids these days, but since our teachers are on summer break... We haven't had kids for a while, so there's no kids these days this week. We've had a great discussion otherwise. So that will do it for this episode of No Wrong Answers. We should say Teach for America Kansas City is the underwriter. But No Wrong Answers does retain total editorial control. What our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. We will have our weekly extra credit segment drop on Thursday, so look for that in your feed. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Thanks to our teachers this week, Maddie Burkemper, Maria Kennedy, David Muhammad, Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodapp, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3 Kansas City Public Radio. We're all using Maddie's hand signals here if you didn't can't see. <laughs> I'm Kyle Palmer, and remember, kids, be nice to your teachers.